Hey world, we are Citywide Church, creating the largest soul-saving effort ever seen right here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We want to thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. We would love to know how our ministry has touched your life. So if you have a couple of minutes, please send us an email at amen at citywidechurch.us. Also, if you would like more information about us or about how to support this ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.citywidechurch.us. Thank you again for listening, and as always, be encouraged and stay blessed. You know, I can't speak for myself, but I can tell you that sometimes I get discouraged by the size of things that God, I feel, has called me to do. Whether, whether it's at ministry or even at home, sometimes fathering or sometimes being a pastor is a really big deal to me. And I don't see that I can do everything at once. Amen. When I look at my city and I see all the big things that need to be done and the big stuff that needs to change, it's as if it's way too big for me to do. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that sometimes we quit before we ever start because we think that something's too large for us to undertake. When I look over my life, I see all these big things that I feel like I'm called to do, but they look intimidating and they look like I should just stop because it's not going to happen because it's too big. And then I realize that every journey starts the same, whether big or small, and that's one step at a time. And I want to talk to you for the next four weeks, and we have some guest preachers coming in also, but I want to talk to you for the next four weeks on a sermon series that we've called Big. And it's how to have a big impact in your life and the lives of others by doing small things that are consistent and persistent and that in the, in the small we can have a big impact. Like throwing a rock into a pond and you see all the ripple effects moving forward. When I was a kid I used to have that infatuation. Remember when all the little plastic domino sets came out? And you would just line up all the dominoes and they had all these dominoes. Then you just knock the first one down. They made domino sets for kids can line them up and knock them down. And I love them. And it's like you just knock the first one down and everything else is taken care of. I want to talk to you how to have a small, faithful action that leads to a big, full impact in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to worship and to join together as a family. And we ask you, God, that you would just have your way in these next few moments. You would open our hearts, open our spiritual ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Most of you know I got two little kids. I talk about them a lot because they fill my life with joy. But lately, <laughs> my daughter Aria has found a new way to, like, torture me every other day. For instance, yesterday I went home with a nice little latte, and I got a tall because it was just me drinking it. Just a little Starbucks cinnamon doce latte with a little bit of whipped cream. I, I, put, I, rested, it, I rested it on the table so that I can go find the remote. And by the time I turned around, my daughter had gotten two styrofoam cups, one for her, one for her sister, and poured out my latte into their cups and said, look, Daddy, I have coffee. I said, that's not coffee. Coffee's $2. It's a latte. That's $4. <laughs> and my daughter, like, she's just been acting up a little bit. She's so little to be this, I don't want to say bad, because she's not a bad kid. 
She's just in her terrible twos. But above all things, my daughter has been saying a bad word that starts with a P. And while you try and figure out what this word is, I want to let you know it's not good. Like, I am upset and I feel disgusted that my daughter is saying this bad word. And I don't know where she learned it. And I'm disgusted by it because I know the mess that comes along with this word. I know the hardship that comes along with this word. I know how ugly it can get with this word. And it's a five-letter P word. And I think that my daughter should not be saying this. And I want to find a person who taught her this so I can pray for them. Because she's only two years old and the word is puppy. No kid at two years old should say puppy. Because like, I want a puppy. Like, no, you don't want a puppy because puppy means that you got to clean up poop. And puppy means that we got a house breaking. And puppy means that we got to now put dog food in the budget. And it means we got to get a haircut for the dog. And we're going to get a haircut for daddy. It's just not good. And if we don't get the right kind of dog, it's going to shed all over the house. And daddy is going to be sweeping up all this dog here. And I don't like that. And knowing me because you're the owner, I'm going to make you walk the dog. And I, I just can't imagine my two-year-old daughter walking a dog. Like she's two. Like this, I have a picture. Could you put my picture? Did you have my picture back there? I got a picture that I feel like this is going to be my daughter when she walks this dog because she's so little. Like you can, you can just leave that up there for a moment. I just feel like she, and she doesn't know what she's asking for. And sometimes we don't know what we're asking for. And she's like, oh, my God, daddy, I want a puppy. She sees a dog. Oh, puppy. Myla's scared. She runs the other way, which I'm happy about. I never want my kids to be afraid of anything. But the fact that she's afraid of a dog means that I can't have one. And so I'm balanced. But Arya's like, puppy. I'm just like, why? You don't know anybody that has a puppy. Why? Why do you want a puppy? Where do you get this stuff from? You can't walk a dog, Arya. The dog is going to walk you. It's, 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 it's just not good. Then you got to go behind the dog as you walk it and pick up stuff in little plastic bags. You know, I just moved to Stratford. You, you can't do In Bridgeport, you can just leave it, I guess, you know. But I, I live on a dead end. They're going to know it's me. <laughs> Here he comes. Here he comes. Like, I can't do that. I just can't. And I try to express to her the difficulty, but a two-year-old can't register. She sees dog and fun. I see dog and dirty, hairy, shedding, pooping, haircut getting, shots, you know, all this. I just, I, and I tried showing her, like, this is going to be you. This is, Aria, this is you. She's like, ooh, a puppy. I envision her being dragged around. It's one of those age-old questions of who is walking who. Is the dog walking you or are you walking the dog? But you know what else this picture reminds me of? Many of our relationships with Jesus. Where we say we're following him, but in truth, we're dragging him along to our every selfish desire. To our every whim and wish, hoping it's of him, saying that we're following him. When in truth, he might just be dragged along for the ride. We fill our hearts and minds with what we think is right and what society tells us is good. And then we say, well, I'm following Jesus and he loves me and I love him and that's all that matters. Can I ask you a serious question? Who's walking who in your life? 
Are you walking with God or is God following behind you? One of the biggest decisions in our lives that we can make that is small in sense is saying, Jesus, I'm committing my heart and my life to you. Jesus, I am committing my whole world to you because I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father, meaning eternal life, but through me. And so this small decision of saying, Jesus, maybe a few words in our prayer, I'm giving you my life and my heart, it turns out to be this big, impactful, lifelong journey of following him. And Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone, and you know what anyone means, it's all inclusive, it really does mean everybody. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And in this verse, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples and he lays out for them the truth that still stands to today that he declares that if anyone would come after him, meaning wanting to be with him or serve him or spend eternity amongst him and his father, that they must do these three things that Jesus lays out. And as a believer in Christ and a follower of the way, there is no way as a believer to escape these things. Because if we escape these things, then in essence, we have to truly ask ourselves, are we following the God of the Bible or have we made up a pseudo type of Jesus who agrees with everything I want to do in my heart and mind? Jesus doesn't make it easy. I love the fact that Jesus actually, he's brutally honest. You know, you have those people in your life where they, they want to tell you something that they think they have to tell you about yourself, but they'll follow it up first with something really nice and then something really mean. And they'll try and balance it. I had somebody come to my office the other day for 90 minutes and give me a bunch of really nice and really mean, really nice. And I'm just sitting there like, just say what you got to say, dude. Just say it. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. And Jesus is, he just, he leaves it totally clear. He's just like, no, listen, if you're going to follow me, these are the things you have to do. And the first one he says is, he says, you have to deny yourself. We must deny ourselves and like, what does that even mean? It sounds so like abstract. I have to deny myself. Well, he means deny your sinful self. And when temptation comes, say, no, I can't partake of that because I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. And like Pastor John said a few moments ago, I'm a new creation and new creatures can't have old habits because God has pressed reset on my life. I have this really big problem with my, I'm not gonna, you know, all the, Android people are going to love what I'm about to say, but I have a problem with my iPhone. And I'm going to pray for you guys afterwards. The problem I have with my iPhone, honestly, is that every now and then I run out of storage because I was too cheap to buy a bigger than 32 gig phone and I bought 16 thinking I was going to be fine. But when you have 16,000 emails, 16 isn't good. And so every now and then I have to connect it to my phone. I do a data backup because there's nothing really on my phone. It's all the cookies and data from every place that I visit and every app that I open. It saves different settings. And I'll have three to six gigabytes of just space taken up on it trying to remember what I do. Trying to remember my predictive texting. Trying to remember my name. Trying to remember where my home is and who my wife is so that I can say, Siri, call my wife. I am calling Yesenia Burgos. 
But every now and then I have to put that bad boy into the computer and do a total wipe of the memory so that I can get the place and the safety back of storage to be able to take pictures of my kids to make new memories. But I couldn't do that if I had old stuff locked up in my memories. I gotta deny myself. I gotta say, no, I no longer partake of those things because I'm a new creature in Christ. And if the world tries to tell me I'm missing out because they wanna do it, I have to let them know I'm not missing out. But I've been found in Him. I have to deny my own selfish desires. I have to stretch and serve others. Yeah. I gotta help and not just think that I'm a good person, but be a godly person because He's called me for greater. And we can't get past the fact that we have to let go of self in order to hold on to God. We have to hold on to him and say, God, I need you. I'm denying myself. I'm not partaking of every whim of my wishes and lustful desires. I'm not partaking of the things that once held me bound because I know that I am with you. Even if culture says it's all right, what does Jesus say? Because that's who we're following. It's not a matter of who God loves, for he loves us all. It's about what God hates, and he hates sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. He loves us. We know this because John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We know because of Romans 5, 8, that while I was yet still a great sinner, God displayed his love for me by giving his son for us. I have to deny myself. I have to say no to sin. I gotta say no to selfishness. I have to say no to materialistic thinking. I have to say no to the humanistic opinions of man when my Bible and my scripture, the word of a living God tells me otherwise. I have to deny myself. This is just step one. I haven't got to step two yet, church. Step two is he says to pick up our cross, and he adds a word onto it in this gospel that other gospels don't have, and it's, it's daily. It's not a one-time thing. You gotta understand who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to 12 Jewish men who saw many a man carry their cross, and what they're trying to tell you is that this is a one-way ticket. Jesus is saying, if you're gonna pick up your cross, you're not coming back. And what does that mean? Does Jesus want me to die? Well, if you're a missionary in Africa, maybe, I don't know. But for the majority of us, what he's saying is, I have to die to myself. It's not enough just to say, not today, Lewis. I have to actually say, no, never again, because God is not pleased in this action. You see, before I, was, before I was walking with God at the full extent that I am now, fornication was okay, and smoking weed was all right, and all these different things was okay for me. But when I became a follower of Jesus, I had to put those things to death and say, no, they no longer please the Father, and they never have, and I can't partake of that. Are you getting what I'm saying? So not only do I deny the feeling, I then have to crucify the feeling. So it's why Paul says, I'm, de I'm dead with him. It's now only Christ who lives within me. That's what it means. He's, he's saying, I I'm not alive anymore. I have to die to my own will. Can, I I've told you before, but I'll tell you again in case you don't know. This isn't my dream job. <laughs> but this is my purpose. This isn't what I wanted to do when I was a kid, but now I see that this is the best path for my life. And my heart and my will has now become aligned with the heart and the will of God. And it came through hardship and toil, but that's all right because now I see the path was worth the pain. If I crucify my flesh, 
I don't mean my physical flesh. I mean the flesh, the mindset in our hearts, the, the, the consciousness that is opposing God and says, you don't need God. You don't need Jesus. You don't need a Savior. Well, according to the Scripture, I have to crucify that very thought. And Paul says, any thought that exalts itself above the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have to cast it down. And so I crucified the flesh, church. I said, Jesus, I need you more than anything. And then Jesus gives us the third instruction. He says, follow me. Follow me. This word follow in the Greek means to imitate. Jesus is saying, do what I do. Live like how, how I live. Love how I love. Forgive how I forgive. And do the things that I have taught. Be patient like me. Be compassionate like me. Be kind like me. Speak everything that edifies others like me. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Jesus is saying, be like me because my way is a path to life. Here's my first point. If you're new today, Lewis preaches with three points. I'm going to give you my first point. It's really simple. It's that following Jesus is a one-way road. It's a one-way road. I went last week on two separate occasions. I almost died. I don't know why that's funny to you. <laughs> Just Some people got some issues here. I almost died. <laughs> like why? Usually you're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? But I almost died twice last week from two different people who share the same last name, Odd. And the last name is Minitalo. And it's Vinny and his sister Tina. Because I, I did them a favor, and, and actually they did me a favor, and took me to get a coffee at my favorite watering hole, which is the Donut Inn. And because I was in Bridgeport, I went to the Fairfield one instead of the Stratford one. And I went to the one in the circle by Senor Salsa. If you don't know where Senor Salsa is, you need to get over there. Best Mexican food ever. And so I go over there, and, and, and this, the way this works, it's like a giant roundabout with stories in the middle, and it's a one-way street. But as they left, they tried turning this way, going the opposite way on the, run, on the one way. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? I don't want to die. I got kids. Stop it right now. Two days later, I'm with Tina in the car. Stop it right. You're going to kill me. What's wrong with you people? And you know what I meant by you people. I kid. I was like, what's wrong? You, you and your brother trying to kill me. You don't see the car coming at you 40 miles an hour? What's wrong with you people? Because when you try to go the wrong way on a one-way, it can kill you. And see, in order to escape the walk that you've proclaimed for Jesus, you have to go the wrong way on a one-way. Because crucifixion and dying to the flesh means that I can't go back because this is a one-way ticket. Jesus took that trip to the cross and he came back a different path because he understood that this was a one-way ticket. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, you gotta follow me. You have to imitate me. You have to do what I do. You can't just live by your own method and call it Christianity. You can't just take whatever you think is right and put it into your opinion and then follow it with your political party and then say, oh, we all agree on this and we think that things should change. No, you gotta go by what the good book says tell you all the time, God is immutable, and it's one of the greatest characters of God, and immutable is a big word for unchangeable. It means that God is never going to change, and what that means is this, that brings me so much comfort, because if God says he loves me, he can never change it. If God says he accepts me, he can never change that. If God says he is for me, he can never change that, because the character of God is never changing, because if God could change, God can get better, but because God is best, he can never change. Understand this thought process. So there's so much peace in knowing that my God won't change because I, be, 
the fact that I know he won't change tells me that I can have a security in the constancy of who he is. But why is it that when we sin, we want him to change and say, this is okay, even though he's called it sin? And the very thing that should make us secure then makes us insecure in him. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, don't do as you want. He says, do as I do. Imitate me. Giving up a sense of self. Giving up your own desires and wishes and wants. He says, do what I do. Does he mean go to the cross? No. Does he mean quit your job and just go die for people? No. What he means is I will repurpose what you already do and use it for my glory. I will take you right where you're at and I will use you in a mighty and supernatural way. He says to Peter, who was a fisherman, you like catching fish, you can catch some people. He repurposes what you're doing already. If you would follow him, and this is a small decision we can make in a moment, but a lifetime impact that is very big. Who are you following? Following Jesus sometimes feels like a giant game of Simon Says. I used to love and hate that game as a kid. Simon says, jump. Simon says, lift your hand. Simon says, clap. Simon says, turn around. Simon says this. Simon says that. Simon, sit down. And I sat down. I lost. Oh, God, no. But sometimes we feel like that with Jesus. where We have to imitate him. And then we have a moment where we just want to do what we want to do. We just do whatever we want. But Jesus says, no, you got to follow me. You have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Not when you want. Not just on Sundays. Daily every morning and say, Jesus, I'm walking with you. If you were to look at your life, is this how you're living now? With Jesus at the helm, him saying, I'm, I'm, I'm leading you. Are you more like that picture with the dog dragging the person? Just, I'm taking him for a walk. Even though the, the Old Testament says that he that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And this draws this picture right now where we're resting in the shadow of God because we're not preceding him. We're standing under his wings. And we're saying, I'm with him. I'm not going to make my own way. I'm going to be with Jesus. Jesus will go on to say in these verses, he goes on and says, if any man would save his life, he'll lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake, he will save it. And that sounds really confusing. What he's saying is, if you live your own way for yourself, you'll lose your soul. But if you live my way and you give your life to me that I can have it and hold it and use it, you'll find eternal life. He goes on, he says something profound that we've all heard. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? What does it profit you to gain everything you've ever wanted in any portion of your life and get all the glitz and the glamour and everything that you thought was good and every materialistic thing that you thought you needed? But when you go, you've got nothing. He says, what does it profit you, my brothers, to gain the whole world, but to lose your very soul, your eternal being inside of you, resting in the human frailty that God has wrapped it in? What does it matter if you gain everything but lose everything at the same time? In other words, he's saying you can't have everything you want and everything I need. And also you can't have God and you can't have sin simultaneously for those two can't coexist. It's not how it works. Will it mean you're perfect? No, but it means you have to walk righteously before the Lord, resting on the Holy Spirit of a living God who says, I'll guide you, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you. 
We can't live out all of our desires for our lives and simultaneously live out all of his. I, 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 Lewis Burgos, can't go pursue all of my dreams and think that the church won't suffer in the meantime while I go off and pursue all of my own desires and all of my own dreams, hoping that something would change in the world. I have to abandon it my whole life to the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. You can't give God a portion of your life. This isn't like, you know, broken home visitation. You got him on weekends and I got him during the week. God's about this thing called full custody. He wants all of your heart, your mind, and your life. And it's not because he's egotistical and not because he's crazy. It's because he knows what's best for you because he's God and he stands outside of time and he knows your beginning, he knows your end. And he says, if you would just follow me, I will show you the errors of your ways, the places why you keep on ending up at the dead ends and the dead roads that you keep on ending up at. I will show you if you would just allow me to. But so many of us have reduced God to our own level by subjecting him to our opinions and our rationalization of what good is and what evil is. And we, we go forward asking God to bless everything we do, never asking him if he told us to do it. We move ahead of him like a dog walking its owner and he trails behind just waiting for it to finish its business. Like a dog on a walk, we go to familiar places, sniffing familiar things, doing familiar things all the time, marking our territory and going around the same area thinking we're going somewhere when in the end we know our destination is back at the master's house. Like a dog on a walk, we make a mess everywhere we go. And it's the master who has to clean up after us. And every time we break our own hearts, we say, God, will you help me? God, will you... And in his great love and mercy, every time he says, yes, I will. Yes, I will. The other day, my daughter, Myla, she wanted something to drink. Her mother got it for her, but she rushed her mother in, in, in getting her this baba, as we call them. It's a cup, a sippy cup. And Myla said, no, baba, baba. So her mom said, here, just take it. But Myla rushed her mother, and she wasn't able to secure the top on him properly. And so Myla goes, and she's in the couch, and she's so happy. And she goes to, to drink it, and it all spills at her. And she's like, <laughs> I'm like, what, dude? I didn't see it. She tried again, and more spills. Like, <laughs> it was cold. I said, Myla, what's the matter? I said, oh, the top isn't on right. I said, honey, you didn't put the top on right. She goes, but she rushed me. That's how we do so many times. We rush things with God. We try to help him. We try to give him tips. I love how one preacher says that we give God diagrams and blueprints. Well, God, this is what I have in store, and this is my life, and I need you to just to bless it right here. I'm going to need an influx of cash over here. I need some contractors there. I need this here. Instead of saying, Lord, what is it you have for me? Because you wrote the story of my life. You weave me together in my mother's womb. You put all the few million characters of my DNA together. You know my every step, the amount of hairs on my head, even if I'm bald, praise God. You know everything about me, God. And so why wouldn't I go to the creator to find out why I was created? Are you with me, church? See, the problem is, as Puerto Ricans, many of us, we don't read the manual. But when things get real tough, you're trying to put that Ikea drawer together. You're like, you know, just give me the instructions. What is wrong with this thing? There was never something wrong with the thing, even though they're always missing two screws. Just always. It was, it was the fact that we weren't willing to find the instructions. When something's wrong with our sound system, we go back to the manual. Find out what the, what the creator says about it. 
And our Bible is our manual. And when things go wrong, we go back to it and say, God, well, what is I, I need to do? Are you really following Jesus? Does your view on life and culture and all these things really reflect what he says? Because the God of the Bible makes it clear for us to be able to know right from wrong. Isaiah 5.20 is a scary thing where he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and put darkness as light and light as darkness, who put bitter as sweet and sweet as bitter. In other words, he's saying, be careful you people who like to call sin God and like to call God sin. Who like to call what the word says truth or rather lies, and what man says truth. Sadly, so many times, this can be the reflection of our walk with him if we're just brutally honest. We don't daily say, God, what do you have for me? We say, God, this is what I got for you. I got a whole to-do list, and I need you to take care of this for me. I have my list. You have your list. Let's team. Let's go. Put your head, huddle up. Here we go. One, two, three. Five. You know, team on five. One, two, three. Team. Like, yes, go, God, Go. You can do it, Jesus. <laughs> you see, here's, here's point number two, and it's really simple. Who you follow determines your fruit in life. Who you follow determines the fruit you have. When you follow self and you refuse to deny self and pick up your cross and, and live the way Jesus has called us to, you won't reflect Jesus and you won't have the peace of God. You won't have the joy of the Lord, the gentleness of his spirit. You won't act in kindness. You won't have the genuine compassion. You'll be short-fused with many people. You'll have anxieties and worries and constant troubles. Your life will always be a matter of plateau after plateau after plateau because it is God who brings us to elevated places. But when you follow Christ, he gives you victory after victory. He leads you from glory to glory. He gives you grace upon grace. He gives you victory after victory. Does the fruit in your life truly reflect the master you claim to follow? Because Jesus said, it is by your fruit that you will know them. Do you have that unconditional love? Is your life marked by triumph and victory and peace and joy and the favor of an almighty God? Or is it really marked by anxieties and stresses and worries and depressions and failures? Are you always back on the come up because you're always on the down low? Are you really following Jesus? Like that's, that's a good question to ask every now and then in a church, you know. It's kind of the whole reason why we're here is following this guy named Jesus. Are you really following him the way he says to deny self, pick up cross, follow Jesus? Or is your life marked by hurts and pains instead of peace and gentleness and joy? Is your marriage marked by trouble, your private life marked by lows? Or is it constantly saying, God, I'm surrendered to you so you can do whatever you want with me. And when God uses something, he never loses because he's undefeated. God never saw a problem he didn't have a solution to. Never saw a heart he didn't know how to heal. Never saw a marriage he couldn't reconcile. He's just undefeated. That's the God that you serve. And you might say, okay, pastor, but why should I consider making a small decision for Jesus? Why should I consider leaving it all behind to follow him? Like, why should I, like, you waste a lot of time with this Jesus. Why should I do the same thing? I'm not telling you to be me. I'm telling you to be you with Jesus. But here's point number three. And I'll leave you with these thoughts. That small faithfulness that leads to big fruitfulness. 
that when I'm constantly faithful in the small, I'll be consistently fruitful in the big. And that as I make the small decisions every day to be humble and to be more like Christ, that the big story of my life will be that he was a man of God. He was a godly man. Wasn't perfect, but he pursued a perfect God. When we do the small things over the years, it will lead to big, fruitful impact. I recently read a really interesting story. Very interesting story about a scholar whose name was Benjamin Warfield of Princeton who did some research and who followed two different families years and years and years ago. He followed one man who was a God-fearing man, true man of God. As a matter of fact, he was a preacher, a powerful preacher. He followed this man, then he followed another man. As a matter of fact, his story was so embarrassing that in the reports, they changed his name to Max Jukes. And this guy, Max, he wasn't necessarily a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, he wasn't at all. He wasn't an atheist. He just didn't follow Jesus. Didn't live the way that Jesus might have wanted him to live. And this man studied both families throughout their lineage. Each and every one of them. The godly man, his name was Jonathan Edwards, a mighty preacher of the word of God. He was born in 1703 in East Windsor, Connecticut. He attended Yale University age 13 and later went to serve on as president of the College of New Jersey, now called Princeton. When he was just 20 years old, he wrote a list of personal resolutions, and among them was ask myself at the end of every day, where could I have done better? Of the known 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards, of his known descendants, 13 were college presidents, 65 were college professors, 30 were judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 were pastors, 60 were prominent authors, three United States senators, and 80 public servants, including governors and ministers to foreign countries, and one was the vice president of the United States. What a legacy. Man, I pray that one day I can make my father proud to continue what he started and what his father started. To continue on in my children and my brother's children to raise up godly families. But the word declares that when you train them when they're young, they won't depart from it as they grow old. That's my heart. To have a legacy that speaks volumes about who we are in Jesus Christ. Why should I consider following Jesus? Because when we find Jesus, it impacts our legacies, our children, eternity. What a powerful man of God. Then you have the other one. You see, Jonathan Edwards, his life would echo through generations. Eternity would be forever changed because he filled heaven with men and women who his family led to Christ. That's big. That's, that's really big. And then you have the family of the Jukes. As an adult, he had a pretty severe drinking problem kept him from holding a steady job, 
Some would say he was an alcoholic, but he wouldn't admit that. He would disappear sometimes and return really late, completely in a stupor. He made little time for loving his children, loving his family, and caring for his wife. They charted his family too. They could only trace 540 of them. But man, of those 540, 310 died as paupers, completely poor. 150 were criminals, including seven murderers. More than 100 of them were, were professed drunkards. And more than half of the women in his family ended up selling their bodies. But you make a small decision to say, you know what? As for me and my house, no matter the cost, no matter the discomfort, no matter what I feel in the now, there's a, there's a time waiting for me that's called eternity. And no matter what I think right now, I have to follow him now because now is what matters. Because if I don't do it now, later is too late. But beyond that, I know that every decision that I make now will impact my Aria and my Mila. I know that I know that I'll impact their children and their children by the decisions that I make. It's important for you to understand that the biggest decisions are going to come wrapped in small things. The small moments where you're going to be choosing good or evil. The moments where you say, I'm just going to walk with God. Because I tried it on my own and I'm, man, my life is futile. I'm coming up at all the same dead ends. I can never find my break. Jesus found that break for us when he was broken on that cross for you and for me. When he gave everything for people who were worth nothing. But to him, he saw you and me worth giving everything for. And so Jesus determines my value in his mercy, in his grace. That we can choose Christ today and for generations to come, they would choose him also. But if I chose him today, I chose every morning to say, I'm picking up my cross today, I'm following Jesus. It's a small decision. I woke up this morning and I grabbed my phone and I said, no, no, Lewis, and I put it back down. And I took a few moments and I said, you know what, God, whatever you have for me today, my heart is wide open. Would you use me? Would you use me, God? Would you, would you take control, God? And every day I'll pick up my cross. The days where I want to flip out, I have to say, no, I can't flip out. Because you're denying yourself. Now don't, don't partake of that. You know where that takes you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. He wants to move in your heart and in your life. Church, I love you so much, but are you truly following Jesus? Are you, are you willing to pay that price to follow him, to abandon desires that we've had for so long and say, God, is this what you want for me? You might see that God sends you back all your blueprints and all your plans and all your, your findings and all your, you know, all your bar graphs and charts you sent him. He might say, I've got something totally different in mind for you. 
But trust me, I don't make anything that's not worth something. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing if you would just trust me. If you would lean on me. And the problem that I used to have with leaning on him was I had to let go of me. And as I told you over the past six months, I love me some me. Like, Lewis is cool. Like, I have a lot of confidence in myself. I don't think I'm arrogant, but I have a lot of confidence in myself. Like, you can tell me I'm not cool. I'm like, you're crazy. Wow. Okay. But like, God gave me that kind of just charisma to just believe in myself and believe that I can do what I put my heart to. But there's some things I can put my mind to all I want, but it won't budge because God has something better for me. And, you know, walking with God, one of the hardest things that I've been enduring is, is really just putting Lewis to the side and trusting in him and being in this place of, of vulnerability, saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen next. Man, I'm trusting you. And that's kind of what I'm asking you to do, to look at your heart and say, am I really trusting him? You see, because sometimes when he says stuff that we don't like, we automatically pull back. I don't, I don't agree with that. And, and, and this is like mindset that, that we have that we think, and this is going to sound mean, but it's true. We think that God cares what we think. But think about this. Like God, he created the universe. He suspended the earth with nothing but rotation. He, he flung the sun to burn and commanded the moon to borrow light from day. That's him. And I'm going to think that he cares what I... He wants you to have his heart. Well, then why do I feel so contrary, Pastor? Because oftentimes what we don't realize is that we struggle with the flesh. It's not your fault. We could blame Adam and Eve for that. We have a little bit of sin nature in us that says, nah, this can't be true. But he's here right now and he wants to commune with you and fellowship with you. He's here today. Wanting to speak to your hearts and say, change your life today because the path that I have plotted for you is greater than you can imagine. Would you stand with me this early afternoon? Let's take a moment just to bow our heads not looking to the left or to the right or not worried about who's around us but just focusing in on God on his presence if I see you looking at me I'm gonna come down there I'm just kidding but let's take a moment to really just think about him maybe you don't know if he's here maybe in your heart you're still doubting he's here Today's your day for a miracle. Father, you see every single heart and you know every struggle. You know every hurt, every pain, and you know every person who's relying on their own strength constantly to see change. But Father, that's insanity to think that we can cause the change that we need in our own lives. We need you. We need you right now. Father, some of us who have been claiming to follow you have not been following you, God. As a matter of fact, we've been following self. 
following our own desires. Would you open our spiritual eyes to see what we don't see? If you're under the sound of my voice and you have an ounce of doubt in your heart, would you just say to him in your own heart, help me to see what you see. Father, give us spiritual eyes in this day that we can see your heart, that we can know that what you have for us is good, that you would give us the strength to continuously deny selfish desires, sinful ambitions. God, that we would trust you. Would you speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus? Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just need a moment of prayer, I want to pray with you today. I want to lead you in a prayer. No one's looking at you. No one's looking around. If you, if you know that you have either not been following Jesus or have never made a commitment to follow Jesus, it's so simple. If you would lift your hand, we'll lead you in a prayer this morning. Thank you. Come on, there's hands going up all over this place. Thank you, thank you. Come on, there's young and old lifting hands. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, if that's you. There's no shame today. He's here. He's here. I want to lean on you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to imitate you. I want to walk the path of life because I understand that I can gain everything but lose it all in a moment. Come on, as high as you can. That's right. Amen, amen. Come on, hands are still going up, church. Come on. Maybe you strayed from the path. Come on. We're going to say this prayer. The team's going to worship a little bit. We're going to get out of here. See, but this is that big moment I was talking about. Small prayer going to have a big impact on your life. Some of you making a decision for Jesus Christ, your children's lives will be radically transformed from here on out your family, your friends. Come on, they're going to see a whole new you. And what was a small decision on a Sunday morning in early November is going to be a life-changing moment for many people all around you. Come on, you're reshaping your legacy right now. You're rebuilding yourself right now. Come on, in Jesus' name. It's going to be a small prayer, but it's going to be a big moment. Life-changing right now in Jesus' name. Mighty name. Come on, say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm committing my whole heart, my whole life into your hands that I will deny myself. I'll pick up my cross. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. For I believe that you paid the price for all of my sins come on boldly say I confess with my mouth come on I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord of my life to the glory of the Father come on the church says amen We want to thank you again for listening to our podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. If you would like to share how God may have blessed you through this message, 
please feel free to share your testimony on our Facebook page at Citywide Church. And while you're there, like our page for daily updates. You can also follow us on Instagram at Citywide Church. Just a reminder, if you would like more information about this ministry or how to support us financially, please visit our website at www.citywidechurch.us. We hope you tune in next week to our podcast. Thank you again. Be encouraged. Stay blessed. Stay blessed.